Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up? You're you're one day into a fast already. One day. We're already... This is hour 26. Yeah. And I say it in hours because everybody thinks that I'm doing a more Ramadan-style fast right. where you eat after sundown, but that is not the case. This is water only round the clock for five days, and we have ticked off day one. You're a better man than I. Gunga Din. Not something I would like to do. I'm so curious. You know, I have a lot of content to film this week. Which, when I looked at my schedule, it didn't look heavy. And then fucking Dr. Finesse is trying to sneak in a second main app. As he does. So that ought to get intense. And we have at least one main app on day four. Day four we may fast. have two episodes on day four. Yeah. So that's going to get real, real Should fast. Should we do like a cognitive performance test around day three? You know what I want to do? Not tell people what episodes we filmed and see if people can suss it out. <laughs> that would be fun. That's going to be interesting. All right. Well, this is After Impact, the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode with very special guest, yes. Carrie Walsh Jennings. We need some music after that or something. No, This is a good one. She's amazing. Amazing. Really liked her episode. It was so raw and so real. Dude. And she's like that in all the interviews that I saw leading up to it. So I was like excited because I knew that she's really ready to go there. It's very impressive. It really, really impressive that somebody that's achieved at that level can be so open with what haunts them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely want to get into that. Before we do, what was the one thing that sort of jumped out at you in the interview? The fact that you're, when I say that she is significantly more dominant in volleyball than Michael Jordan was in basketball. Dude, from a stats perspective, it's unreal. Like that in, I, in certainly a decade, it may have been 11 years. In 11 years, she lost one set. One set, dude. That's crazy. That's like, imagine Jordan plays for 11 years and he... I'll even say he loses one game, which she didn't, by the way. She right. lost a single set. It's like he, he lost one quarter. Or yeah, something. yes, yeah. perfect. <laughs> that he lost one quarter. Like, can you imagine in 11 years to be That's that dominant? And this insane. is somebody playing at the Olympic level. It, it's just crazy town. Yeah. 
And then the fact that she was so open about, you know, the things that she struggles with, her insecurities, and the fact that she's, you know, what I really liked about this episode is she seems to be able to hold the two things in her head of she's confident in her skills, she knows she's worked her ass off, and she's achieved a lot, and at the same time, she knows she has more to do and things to get better at. And that, yes, and I didn't finish my thought. That's the important part of that, so thank you, is that she's been that dominant and yet was still so vulnerable. That was what really jumped out at me. Yeah. Really cool. The, the episode title is The Power of Vulnerability. What do you think are the key benefits of being vulnerable? Well, so now I'll speak for myself entirely, and it is a lack of anxiety that's, that's huge for me. And if I'm really honest about why I first started going down the path of not creating a persona around myself, and I'm talking long before I stepped in front of the camera, but even, um, you know, let's say a decade plus ago, I get anxious when I'm trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. Like, yeah. that's just not a comfortable place for me. So I think that you can be very relaxed because you're not on a pedestal. There's nothing fake about you. So people can try to come after you, but it's like you already own that you like with Carrie. She talked about how I, I'm not entirely confident in my track record of success. Like, it doesn't feel owned, right? And so that's the second thing. Like, you recognize you don't own success, you rent it. And as the quote goes, it's rent is due every day, mm -hmm, right? And you've mm -hmm. got to put in that work. You've got to be grinding. You've got to be busting your ass and working. Like there's just no way around it. And so being like actively participating in vulnerability, I think gives you that where you're, you just face that very openly, willingly, and it gives you an edge because you're not taking it for granted because the third thing, you don't buy into your own hype. There's no sense of like you're spinning this tale for everybody else. And then while you never completely believe in it, I think the, the sort of floor of what you do believe starts to creep up. And so you're no longer really seeing yourself the way that you are. You're seeing some percentage of the distortion that you present to other people. So I think those three things are are really critical elements of success. I think that people that fail to do that, that fail to be humble, that fail to be vulnerable, that fail to open up, not only fail to connect with people, which I'll throw that out as the fourth thing, that you're still really able to connect with people, but you really begin to lose touch and you're just not gonna perform as well as you otherwise would. Yeah. Um, one of the terms that kept like popping up into my head throughout this episode was the, the concept of imposter syndrome. Mm. of feeling like suddenly you're in a room with people and you actually don't know what you're talking about or you're competing in a sport and you're actually not very good. Um, what is, like, is that something you should try to overcome or is there something you can leverage with imposter syndrome? Um, you can definitely leverage it. And I don't know how much you want to, like, really worry about whether or not you have it unless it's holding you back. And I think you should try to overcome anything that's holding you back. But so I have imposter syndrome. And the funny thing is every now and then it'll creep into um, a comment that I'll make or something on an Instagram post or whatever. And then people will be like, no, Tom, you can do it. It's okay. Like, And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I, this isn't me panicking. Like it yeah. just, it's me being honest about the fact that things like that will creep into your thoughts, right? For so, everyone, right? Right. Yeah. So knowing how to leverage it, letting it kick you in the ass, letting it push you and drive you, that to me makes sense. So rather than trying to outrun it or get away from it, like I say, okay, I know that that voice is pointing at something that's real. Mm. And that's what I love, man. Because look, 
here's what imposter syndrome really is. Other people are looking at me in a more glorified way than I really am. It doesn't mean that I'm not actually great or that I'm not performing at an elite level or that I don't have some insanely great track record in her case. It just means that when somebody looks at her like a deity, she just knows that's, that's so false. And so she has this sense of unease and the discrepancy between the way that people, myself included, repeat her story, talk about her stats. And she's like, yeah, but that's not really how it feels, right? Yeah. So that discrepancy between knowing that I'm immortal, knowing how hard I have to work, knowing that I narrowly missed losing games, sets, matches, gold medals, like all of it, that that like I'm still playing at a mortal level, that's where that creeps in is like nobody else knows like how embarrassing you used to be or how far you've come. Like this weekend, this guy came to the booth and I realized in breaking something down for him, and I'm being very vague on purpose, but in breaking something down for him, he was like, you understand me better than anyone else has ever understood me. And he was just like shocked. And I thought, Am I like, do, do you, one of my greatest fears is that secretly I was born talented and that I haven't actually earned what I'm able to do now, right? Mm. And so I'm constantly checking. And so I had this moment of, am I really just naturally good at understanding people? And this is all a lie and you can't become anyone that you want. And then I stopped and thought about what I really used to be like. And I was like, no, 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 this is all real. Like I used to be a total <laughs> buffoon. And like if people could only see that, and I think mm. that's like when you realize how much you've changed, but some part of you still remembers what it was like to be sort of dumb, lost, and hopeless, you do get that imposter syndrome. But if you can leverage that as a reminder of how far a human being can go and how much you can develop yourself and let it push you, I think it, it's only useful. Yeah, that's great. Um, what I loved about Carrie on this episode was just she has such a great spirit and and so much enthusiasm for what she's trying to do and achieve in life in all aspects. And she kept coming back to joy and that being a big part of her life. Um, like, can you talk a little bit about cultivating enthusiasm? Cause, and the reason I thought of this was in one of your recent newsletters, which if you guys aren't subscribed, you should subscribe, get on that, go to impacttheory.com. Um, you talked about, the ability to be excited and to get other people excited. And you were going very tactical into like voice modulation and all this stuff, but how does that play into enthusiasm? How can you cultivate that in your life? All right. So first and foremost, understand that emotions are contagious. So if you're embodying enthusiasm, the people around you are going to start to feel more enthusiastic. It is so weird and profoundly beautiful that that human connection. And when you're able to, really make it mechanistic or tactical, like you were saying, and understand, oh, okay, there are things that I can do to do this, that I can change my posture, that I can use my hands when I talk, that I can modulate my voice, force myself to talk louder, faster, more energetically, whatever, that not only is it contagious for other people, but suddenly what started completely mechanistic for you, like you knew, oh, if I do A, B, and C, then I will experience A, B, and C, and other people will experience it. It starts to feel entirely real. And it is 100% indistinguishable from something happening that's amazing and wonderful in your life and the thing that you manufactured. So doing that, like right now, I said I was actually really grateful that I'm not in prison doing a fast and yeah. that I am you know, in my normal day-to-day -day life. 
is because I knew that I was going to, I do things like this, where I'm going to so embody enthusiasm, excitement, I'm going to really dive into this, um, that I will forget that I'm hungry because I'm doing all these other body biomechanical things that are going to secrete different um, neurochemicals in my body, make me feel a different way. And once you're able to do that, it's one of those ways that you can not only in, impact yourself, change your own state, your own chemistry, but then you're able to do it with other people. And so practicing that, cultivating it, making it something that you can do purely mechanistically, all of a sudden you're not a slave to just wherever you are neurochemically. Um, so like this morning, I slept terribly. And since my fast started at 3 p.m. yesterday, even by the time I woke up this morning, I was hungry and I was just, I felt off from not sleeping well, which had to do with allergies and not fasting, but um, I didn't sleep well. And then Lisa was like, I was trying to be in the zone and she was asking me something. I was just grumpy. And she's like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, like this is what happens. Like you wake up in a, just you're off the wrong side of the bed, as people sure. say. And unless you understand the mechanisms by which to change your neurochemistry, most people, they just coast from one sort of accidental neurochemical state to the next. Mm -hmm. So getting into the, the mechanistic understandings of it, it's just critical, especially enthusiasm. Yeah. And so Carrie talks about like throughout her life, she tries to live with joy. And one of the things that she struggled with was, you know, people in her life that were closer were calling her out for saying, you know, I don't think you're being real because she's trying to put a positive spin on things. She's trying to, trying to say, you know, what, I'm not going to get upset about this. I'm going to look at the bright side. And then she was reflecting on that and asking, like, am I full of shit? So how do you sort of deal with the fact that you're trying to stay positive, but like still being authentic and real to yourself? Like, how do you look at the two things? I was startled to hear that somebody had leveraged that against her because Watching countless interviews with her over the last year, she's always way vulnerable, super honest. Yes, she's saying, like, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to look at the positive. But she's also saying, but secretly, like, I am haunted by this, and it does bother me, and I yeah. want it to win. So I'm like, no, she's, like, so even-handed about, like, look, I wanted to win gold. I did not. That sucks. It was heartbreaking. It was crushing. But I can't stay there. I can't overly focus on that. And so I'm looking at the positive and all that. So now let's get into the very nature of what is real. And this is something that I'm writing about in the book. Mm. And the ghostwriter that I'm working with first had a fucking stroke, dude. She was almost like I could tell secretly behind the scenes. She was like, if he doesn't either clarify the point about lying to yourself um, or give me some reason to believe that um, I have misunderstood his willingness to lie to himself, then this is alternative facts and I'm the fuck out of here, right? And so in a post-Trump world, like she just couldn't like deal with somebody writing a chapter about how it's okay, in fact, encouraged to lie to yourself. Yeah. And I was like, you need to start from knowing what the truth is in terms of metrics, measurable, either I am moving towards my goals or I'm not. And that's what I mean by what the truth is. Because emotionally, there is no truth. Right. So you've got a guy, Viktor Frankl, who goes through five concentration camps, spends years watching people die left, right and center all around him. And he realizes between stimulus and response is a gap. And in that gap, you get to choose. Now, what's real? A guy being happy in Auschwitz. Is that real or is he faking it? Now, it would be very easy to say that's not real. Come on, man. Like there is no joy to be had in Auschwitz. And yet, this guy said, 
If you couldn't find the meaning and the purpose in your suffering, if you couldn't find something that you could latch onto, and I'm not going to say it's happiness, but that there was, there was some depth, importance, fulfillment, meaning in all of that suffering, he said they died. And they would die within 72 hours of losing their why. And I thought, whoa, that's freaky. So it's not real. Like most people, I think, would say, yeah, that's, that's crazy to like try to find the beauty in what's happening, to find the beauty in your suffering. And yet it very much kept him alive. So I, I literally do not understand people that are calling her out or saying that it's um, you know fake to, to focus on the positive or even actively forget focus on. There is nothing that the average person would say is positive in that thing that happened to you. And yet, you spend the time to go and find the positive, which you're actually manufacturing at that point. You're totally creating it. That is the only thing that makes sense, dude. And so what I really want people to understand is you're AI, basically. And you're programmed to react to the world in a certain way so that without having to, to give you a litany of all these potential um, situations that you may run into, that you just know how to react. You have emotional reactions to certain things. And I'm saying, as a human, it does not make sense to go, that is truth, that is right, and so whatever neurochemical reaction I have, I am simply going to respond in accordance with that. And I think it only makes sense to totally buy into logotherapy by our boy, Viktor Frankl, and realize there's a gap between those two. And you get to insert yourself and say, I don't like the way my AI programming is telling me to respond to this, and so I'm going to manufacture a new emotion I'm going to create a positive spin on this, and I'm going to live by it. That's the only thing that makes sense. Has anyone ever questioned you or criticized you for the same thing? Like, oh, there's no way you could still be happy about this right now or not be upset. Probably. This is where, like, my really bad memory comes into play. <laughs> um, I've definitely had people say that I, here's the criticism that I actually got, because I cannot honestly remember if anyone's ever said that particular thing. But I used to really lean on telling people I wanted to be a Jedi. And then all people could hear was that I wanted mind control. And mm. it freaked them out. So there were people where I was being 100% real and authentic with them. And they thought I was doing like Jedi mind tricks. So that became like a, a refrain where there were some people who were afraid to meet with me. This is fascinating on two levels. They were afraid to meet with me. My employees, afraid to meet with me. Because they thought that I would like try to change them from having like life goals if they didn't think I would think it was a cool enough life goal. And so they were afraid I would be able to talk them out of things. Mm. And so I thought, wow, it's kind of cool that they think that like <laughs> I'm that persuasive. But then like the flip side of that is Jesus, like I'm not some like dark overlord that's, you know, going to switch it up from you just want a nice quiet life to no, you must play on a world stage. Right. So um, that I have been accused of many times and is exactly why I now talk a lot less about Jedi stuff and a lot more about Matrixy stuff. Nice. Um, another theme of the episode was fun, and that plays a really important role in Carrie's um, drive and her pursuit of greatness is that if you're not having fun while you're doing it, then that's also you know a failure in and of itself. So she tells the story of when they won gold in Beijing, right? Yeah. And that what leading up to that, the four years was um, she, they got really hardcore about all their training, all their uh, matches. And at the end of it, she was just 
depressed and, and not happy from all of the things that she had to sacrifice during that time. Um, so I guess my question is, like, would you, like, what is the role of fun in sort of your life and how you approach your pursuit of greatness? Laughter is a metric. And that's a, an overly simplistic way of saying that you really, really have to enjoy the journey. So I've learned the hard way that the struggle is guaranteed, success is not. So maybe you're successful, maybe you're not, but you're going to get the day-to-day life of it. Mm. And if you really believe in what you're trying to build and you teach yourself to fall in love with solving the puzzles of whatever you're trying to do, whether it's I'm trying to become the best parent and my kid is throwing a tantrum and embarrassing me in public. And so, hey, rather than like focus on how embarrassed I am right now, focus on how do I solve this problem? Mm -hmm. Or you're trying to build a business and it's like, hey, everything's on the line. And if I fail, I lose my house, I lose my car. And rather than spiral out of control with anxiety over that, you really stop and go like, how do you solve this problem? And like fall in love with that process. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, okay, this is fun. I've created uh, a neurochemical cascade from these things that I'm going through that's positive, that um, triggers my um, inquisitive nature, that like allows me to you know be a wash in learning and curiosity and um, change and all of the th- all of those things, and really remind myself how fun this is. And I think that's super important to having energy. And at the end of the day, this all comes down to, are you going to have the energy to fight when it gets really, really hard? And the only way that you're going to have the energy to fight when it gets really, really hard, which is the only people that end up being successful, the ones that have the reserves of energy when that happens, is if you're actually having fun. So another way to look at it is nature um, incentivizes the behaviors that it wants by making it pleasurable. And so it wants you to have children, so sex is pleasurable. It wants you to protect um, your clan to make sure that your kids survive, so it makes cooperation deeply pleasurable, So, which is a huge part of fulfillment, right? But it's, it's all nature trying to incentivize something. So for you to fight, there's got to be that meaning, right? Victor Frankl coming up again. Like, there's got to be that meaning. There's got to be that purpose. And when you have that, there is... Um, a joy of sorts, not just the sort of laugh out loud um, pleasure joy, but the the deep lasting sense of joy that comes from fulfillment, doing something where you really feel like what you're doing matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think all feeds into that. And, and if you don't cultivate that relationship, because that certainly was not my default setting. My default setting led me to lay face down on the carpet in my apartment that had no furniture because I couldn't afford it and I felt lost. Like, I know that's my default because that's where I was. And so it was only because I wanted to get up off the carpet that I took myself anywhere else. But every step after that was a creation. It was saying this step will make sense towards building that. And so creating a relationship with joy in your life is critical. Yeah. And what do you do when you may have answered part of this in the last response, but I want to go a little bit deeper volleyball is a thing that Carrie loves. It's, it's really been like, it's her passion. It's what she's built her whole career around and yet still had that time where it just wasn't fun. So what do you do when the thing that you're just in love with, you've been doing your whole life stops being fun? I think she, she did it. And so her life is a wonderful example of this. And that is to refine the fun to say, I'm going to build into this, um, from my own brain perspective, 
I'm going to reprioritize. I'm going to focus on different things. So mm -hmm. even though I'm going to say the gold is still my goal, because so what happened was um, they get their first gold medal and then they want to repeat in Beijing. And so from day one of their training four years leading up to Beijing, it's just gold medal is all that matters. And then her life becomes a reflection of that. And so yeah. her marriage suffers, her time with her kids suffers, um, her just joy for life suffers because everything is a slave to I'm going to win that gold medal. Now, the next go round, Still the same goal. I'm going to win a gold medal. And by the way, she ends up winning a third gold medal. And the way that they went about doing it, though, was we're going to enjoy the process. We're going to have fun. I'm going to stay connected to my family. So even though the outcome ends up being the same, the process all along the way was very different. It's exactly what I went through at Awareness Tech. Money was the sole driver. And mm -hmm. every decision that I made was based on, is this going to make me rich or not? And then I said, okay, well, that didn't work. That was no fun. I spent eight and a half years not enjoying my life. So what am I going to do differently now? And so I'm going to prioritize things differently. And I'm going to obsessively think about different things. And this is um, that thing that I want to get turned into like the airline pamphlet yeah. about what you think about how much it matters. In fact, I'm just going to say that I don't think there's anything that matters more than what you think about obsessively. And if you think about joy, enthusiasm, love, friendship, connection, um, growth, actuating your potential, if those are the obsessive loops that you're in, you're going to fucking love your life. And if your obsessive loop is, I'm an imposter, um, bad things have happened to me in my life, um, you know, it's unfair. I'm not as smart as that person. Like, oh, it's going to be a fucking misery, dude. Yeah. Because that, that loop is just not, it's not pleasant in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Um, and I think everybody has the option to play either tape at any one time. So it's just what tape do you put in over and over and over? How do you translate those big concepts into something that is actionable in the day-to-day? -day? So you're, you're saying think about love, joy, companionship, whatever it is. How do you go tactical? You already said it. Think about love. So, so just think about the concept. Of love. Yeah. Well, and so now, think okay, people let, you love, let's really about. get, yeah, let's, let's answer your actual question. So here's what I would do. One, uh, a very important concept is embody. So don't just think about it, embody it. Mm. So for instance, one, one of the greatest things that I ever did for my marriage long before she was my wife was I said, every time, Every, every time, Jared, I think something positive about my wife, I'm going to say it. I'm going to externalize it. I'm going to take my phone. If I'm in a business meeting, I'm going to take my phone out real fast and I'm going to send her a text so that she knows I'm thinking about her because my highest priority is my relationship with my wife. So every time that I think, and if her ass looks good, be like, your ass looks good. I'm going to send her a text. Like, what, whatever it is. Uh, I was, everything. 100%. I love that. I'm thinking about your smile right now. Um, and if she, like, laughs out loud at something else, totally random, has nothing to do with me, but I just get infected by that smile, I'm really going to take the time, one, to let myself feel it, two, to externalize it so that I linger in the moment lingering in the moment is the real key to all of this so that it, it you stop something from being a fleeting moment and you grab it and hold on to it. And then three, in that particular case, I'm really sharing that moment with somebody. So now it's reflected back in me and I see how much joy that that little thing brings her. And then another important part, the flip side of this coin is going to be you're going to let go of everything that's negative. So whether that's 
her or whether that's about myself. If it's a criticism, I'm going to let it go. If it's positive, I'm going to grab it and hold on to it. If it's gratitude, I'm going to really do my best to feel it. I'm going to picture the, the situation, the person, whatever that thing is that I'm really feeling gratitude for. I'm going to try to sit with it and focus on it. Um, in the shower, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to audible books. This hasn't always been true, by the way. So for somebody reading this or hearing this, it's like, wait, you said that you read books in the shower. And I used to, and I stopped doing it because I really want to take that time to be um, meditative in what I contemplate on. And so I'll make sure that I'm taking that time to um, really think about something. This, this isn't the only thing that I do, but it is a time where I will really think through things that are positive, empowering, beautiful, wonderful, sit with that, hold on to those emotions. So I, I'm, if I keep going, I'll just loop. But like that's the, to really embody it, to think about it, to hold on to it. Those are the keys. I love that. I use the Vanessa Van Edwards approach, which is when you hit a traffic light and you're stuck in it for a while, which is very often in LA. And in fact, there's one right out here at Impact House that's about, I think it's about a four or five minute light, if I'm not mistaken. I know exactly what light you're talking about. And take that time, turn the radio off, don't make any phone calls and do your gratitude. You just have that free window right there. It's awesome. Love that. All right, let's move on. Um, so you guys talked a lot about the importance of you're going to go for gold, you're going to go for the highest success possible, and you're going to that's all you're trying to achieve. But at the same time, it's also the journey is what's really important. So, would you rather fail repeatedly at something but be fulfilled in that process, or would you rather succeed at the highest stage but ultimately be unfulfilled? I mean, that's easy, I've lived it. So, 100% to be fulfilled for sure, no question. It, Jared. Anybody that chooses the opposite path, it's like, would you rather be rich and depressed or broke and fulfilled? Like it, it's, I, I understand how much cultural weight there is behind success mm -hmm. because when people think about making that choice, what they're thinking about is I'm going to tell somebody what I'm doing and I'm going to feel some kind of way. But the reality is you won't. The other person will feel some kind of way, but you won't. You'll still feel that hopelessness, that sense of being lost, that you're wasting your life, it, it is, and whatever spark of joy you get out of looking in their eye and seeing that they're jealous or that they admire you or whatever your thing is, like that is, that is like a, a sparkler in a rainstorm. It's like, sure, <laughs> it's there and they got that weird chemical stuff so they burn, but it's like, Jesus, it's, you're in the middle of a rainstorm. And so, because I wouldn't have had that clarity unless I had lived the cliche of money can't buy happiness. Mm. So I just know for a fact that one is a pleasant way to live and the other is a fucking misery. Now, I would much rather succeed and be fulfilled. Mm. And so make no mistake, my every day is about trying to succeed and be fulfilled at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so many of our guests have talked about excuses. I know it's something you talk a lot about. Carrie touched on it as well. Um, you guys share the same approach there. And she said, if I blame something, something else or someone else, then I become a victim and I have no power. So I guess, why do you think our natural inclination is to let ourselves off the hook, to find a scapegoat, to find someone else to blame when things go wrong? So you'll survive and be happy. So this is one of those times where if you were to jettison, it's called the psychological immune system. And if you didn't have one, the likelihood of you being depressed go through the fucking roof. So what focusing on taking ownership is really secretly all about 
It's making that the most potent psychological immune response you have. Mm. It isn't about facing like how inadequate and stupid and bad you are. It is going, I can get good at anything. So cool. There's power in owning this. But what you're focusing on is if I own this, which is already powerful and makes me amazing, then I can get good at this. Mm -hmm. And then like that'll be awesome. And so I'm fucking cool for looking at how many ways I'm wrong and how many ways I'm weak and inadequate. But I'm going to leverage that to get good, to become more powerful, to get great. And so when you've really tasted that in your life, and like I'm on a crusade. In fact, maybe we should make a t-shirt on this. I'm on a crusade to get people to understand skills have utility. Okay? Skills, you don't read a book to say, I've read the book. You read a book to get good at something. You read a book to now have a piece of information that you can leverage in the real world to change it, to make it more what you want it to be. But it is the ability to change something that is the reason to acquire a skill in the first place. So, and I think that people way lose sight of that. But that at the end of the day is a really powerful part. And I cannot remember what the actual question was, but that's really important. I want people to remember that. And then you're gonna remind me of the question. The question is, why do people let themselves off the hook? Yes, so the the psychological immune system is is there to protect you. And it would rather see you totally delusional and happy than totally realistic and depressed. And that just makes sense. You're more likely to go do things, take risks, take chances, um, explore more territory, get more food, blah, 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 all of that, have more offspring if you're optimistic, if you're um, confident. So... It, it goes way out of its way, but it is the dragon that eats its own tail at some point when you're believing your own hype, going back to one of your first questions, you're believing your own hype. You now have a totally distorted view of yourself in a way that where your feet aren't touching the ground anymore and you've lost your base of power because you can't see what you need to improve, but better that truly from like a, a just happiness perspective than to be dysfunctional because you're depressed because you have such a realistic view of yourself. And they've done studies on this. The people that have the most realistic view of, their, of themselves are the least happy. And the people mm. that are most delusional are the happiest. It's crazy. That so be, crazy. you really have to take control of that process. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the idea of placing a chip on your shoulder or having the darkness. Yes. Um, you asked Carrie, uh, how are you, how, like, is she trying to place a chip on her children's mm -hmm. shoulders in order for them to achieve a certain level of greatness? And she said that I think life just does it for you. What do you think? Do you think you need to kind of find that chip or do you think it's just going to come for you? Cause that's life. Life slaps you around. It does not put a chip on your shoulder. Mm. And that, that's a real decision. And I think most people back down in the face of that because it's really scary to say, I'm going after this person, this thing, this whatever. I'm going to win. And when I think about how, how when, when you believe that you can get better, a chip on your shoulder is amazing. When you believe that who you are is a permanent state, a chip on your shoulder is corrosive and it makes you a dick. Mm -hmm. Just like when you see people that are bitter, it's because they have a chip on their shoulder and they don't think they can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So that to me is the worst of all worlds. Then if you really believe that you can't do anything about it, way better, don't have a chip because it will just eat at you, eat at you, eat at you. Yeah. But for me, the chip is like, I love having that competitor. And this is also something Carrie talked about. Like your competitor makes you better. When I think about the people that have, that have just thrown hate on me, that have kicked sand in my face, all of that, they've made me better. Like they make me want to win, Jared, with an intensity. And it, I only bring it up 20% of the time, right? I don't spend the majority of my time there. 
But when I really need it and I'm really suffering, like for instance, I'll just tell you right now, either day three or day five, I don't know, everybody says in a fast that post day three, it actually gets easier. So, but either day three or day five, I'm going to tap into the darkness hundred <laughs> percent. Like you, you just have to understand, like I'm, I'm not willing to back down because partly, only partly, but partly because there are people that think I can't do it. And so in those moments, has anyone hit you up in the DMs and said, I don't think this is going to work? No, no, no. Nobody that follows me that would actively DM me is like that kind of, which I'm very grateful for. By the way, this community is fucking beautiful in a thousand ways. Um, But I know that as we get bigger, some people will. But God, would they really be that dumb? Like, if you heckle me, the odds of me succeeding go up exponentially because I am not going to let you win under any circumstances. Have you heard that, Jordan? Oh, God. I forget where I heard this. Um, but there's this really famous story from, oh, I'm in a room, Reggie Miller. I'm not a sports guy. I'm impressed with myself right now. Reggie Miller was his, um, first year in the NBA leading up to regular season there. They play like these, um, exhibition, yeah, exhibition games. And so the, um, the, uh, veterans will only play, you know, like 10 minutes of the game or whatever. And somebody on Reggie Miller's team was like, dude, you got to talk smack to Jordan, talk smack to Jordan. And so finally he says, he talks some smack to him. Oh, you think you're all that or whatever. I'm gonna shut you down. I forget what he says. And Jordan just looks over at his coach and goes, leave me in. And then proceeds to like score 37 points or something <laughs> ridiculous on Reggie Miller. And then he just, as they're walking off the court, he turns to Reggie Miller and goes, don't ever talk smack to me again. And that was it. And Reggie Miller, who was known for talking smack said, Never once again in my career did I ever talk smack to Michael Jordan because he said it it moves him into this gear. He's like he's already Michael Jordan, and then you talk shit on him, and he just goes into like ultra Jordan. He was right. like, it, it's Don't not worth the bear. it. Yeah. So and that's and that's how I feel. So if if somebody were to ever take a jab at me like that, and I believed them, and it wasn't somebody who actually cares about me, just trying to be there for me, which is totally empty. But if it were real, then fucking forget about it. I love it. Um, I think those are all the questions I have. What do you think is next for Carrie? Well, like you guys didn't get a whole lot of time to talk about her new, um, her organization that she's building. Um, where's that going? Dude, I'll be, so one, I think the only thing that stops her from winning a gold medal is an injury. Mm. So like really think about that. This is, this would be her sixth olympic appearance six dude they only happen every four years yeah so that would be just pure madness Mm -hmm. so i think that she's really got a shot at winning the gold medal so i'm gonna say she's got another gold in her future and then if she can apply her discipline tenacity joy for the process all of that to her entrepreneurial endeavor then i think she could really do something with 1440 so that'll be super cool to see if she pulls that off but I, i think she's got a real shot yeah we'll be watching no questions. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of After Impact. And if uh, you could hear my stomach grumbling, which I can hear it going crazy. This was day one of a five-day, or day two technically, of a five-day fast. So thank you for um, dealing with that. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.